All right, so we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today because that is the next step in Romans as we've been talking a lot about the law. We've been talking about all these things that used to be and now we're making the transition into what is now, what is next. So just stick with me and I do want to give you a warning. I always give you guys a warning when I'm going to do this, but at the end I am going to ask for people to stand up and respond. I'm going to ask you guys to come forward so just so you can freak out about that now so that when the time comes, you can be obedient to the Holy Spirit and we can be up here together. Um, I always like to give you a heads up because it's a little different than what we normally do. We already did communion at the beginning, so some of you might already be like, what is he doing? He's going rogue on us. But just stick with me. Um, Do you guys ever, are there any words that you guys just hate hearing or saying? Emily, what is it? Say it. Moist. Moist, right? It's such a gross word. So I've made a list of gross words just for all of you to be uncomfortable. Moist is number one. That's also Sarah's least favorite. Uh, crevice, right? And I'm not going to do it because this is being recorded, but just in the back of your mind, say them all in order and it just gets worse. Yeasty. Has it, have you ever had someone describe bread to you as yeasty? I'm like, okay, well, that's enough of that bread. I don't, I don't need that, Avalon. Thank you. One of my favorite stories, this was before Sarah and I were even dating. This is like seven or eight years ago. I remember her coming to church and she was talking about trying to buy a new couch and she's talking about this salesman and he's trying to sell this couch to her. It's like a leather couch and he uses a word to describe it that immediately Sarah goes, well, now I can never buy this couch. And he said that the leather was supple, right? It's horrible. It's like, that should be the number one thing they teach you at Art Van is like, don't call it supple. You won't sell a thing. But we do not have a supple couch, so it's okay. We just have a normal couch. Another word, my least favorite, they all are very like, very much medical words. Secretion, right? Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, A fun one, squish. It's kind of an onomatopoeia, but it's like, you know, like, Squish, I like, I like squishy things, like my daughter's cheeks are squishy. Squishy's fine, but squish is like you stepped in mud and it's like coming between your toes. So I bring all these gross words up because that's kind of how I feel uh, as I was studying and reading through these verses. The title of the message today is Spirit and Flesh. And flesh is one of those words for me where I like, I hear it and I just kind of like, mm, I don't... I don't like that. Can we use different words? And like different translations use terms like sinful nature or sin or human nature. But I just kept coming back to the ESV and it just keeps saying flesh. And I was like, I was like, why does that make me uncomfortable? It's the sound of the word. But I think part of it is also the reason we're going to use that word today. And hopefully, like I kind of got goosebumps the more I say it. It's just kind of, it's kind of one of those words that's just kind of, it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard. But I think it should be, because when, when the Bible talks about flesh, what it's talking about is our sinful nature. It's talking about if we are left on our own as human beings, we will continually move further away from God's design for our lives. Whenever we choose to do what's best for us and not what God wants us to do, it kind of 
we kind of get more and more of that life where it's like, oh, this is a flesh decision. And so these verses talk a lot about living in the flesh and being in the flesh and choosing to live according to the flesh. And so what we're going to talk about today is kind of the idea that God wants to take us from living in the flesh, of choosing what we think is best for us, of choosing what's easy, of choosing sin, as opposed to choosing to live life according to the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at Romans 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 real quick. This is going to be a really short message, so you, don't even, you probably won't even have time to fall asleep, and then you'll be up here with me, so it's good. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Probably one of the more quoted verses in the Bible. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the to the Spirit. So Pastor Jacob preached on this at length last week, so I'm not going to go too far into it because he already said all the great things that the Holy Spirit was telling him. But I do just want to touch on it because it sets up the rest of this passage, and it's important. And I think one of the favorite verses for people to quote is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think that it can be a verse that's kind of misquoted and misused because we don't always necessarily know exactly what it means. The word condemnation that's used there is actually a word that means punishment. It doesn't mean like disapproval. It doesn't mean like, you know, you get in trouble. It means that there's a punishment. It's actually like the consequence is what it's talking about. So this verse says, there's now no consequence. There's now no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, which you're going, okay, so I can do whatever I want and I'm not going to get in trouble, right? But that's not what it's saying. This condemnation doesn't mean that everything you do is okay. What it means is that the punishment for it has already been taken care of, right? So that's what verses two through four are talking about. It's saying Jesus came as a human and God put our sin on him when he was on the cross and he condemned the sin that we commit. He punished our sin through Jesus on the cross. So now we don't have to pay that punishment if we accept Jesus saving us, right? This is, this is like very basic salvation gospel. This, when we ask Jesus to come into our lives to forgive us of our sin, this is what we're doing. We're going, I accept that Jesus took my punishment and now I don't have to pay the price. I don't have to pay the consequence for what I do wrong because he already paid it. Now, this doesn't mean that we can do anything we want and we're not going to get in trouble. It doesn't mean it won't affect our lives because now, hey, we're not condemned. But it literally means we won't get the eternal punishment that we deserve because Jesus took that punishment in his body when sin was condemned in his life. And this marks this is kind of the crux of all of salvation. It's huge because this is where our relationship with God completely transitions. We go from 
before Jesus did this for us, it was all based on the law. It was about following the law. If you didn't follow the law, you were punished according to the law, right? And we see Jesus, when Jesus comes and lives, he begins to bring this new transition. When the woman caught in adultery is brought before him, they go, uh, Jesus, the law says we need to stone this woman because she broke the law, so now she deserves the punishment. And so Jesus kind of blows the whole thing up and he goes, okay, well, whoever of you doesn't deserve punishment should punish her first, right? And so they all walk away because they realize they all deserve punishment. And that's Jesus' whole point is he's going, I'm going to take all of that punishment that the law says is required and I'm going to make it happen in me so that it doesn't have to happen to those who accept my salvation. And this is where our faith goes from being law-based, how many rules can we follow? If we don't follow them, we get punished. It's very transactional, it's very rigid, to a relationship with God, which gives us more freedom, but it's also a lot messier as I was studying, I read something from um, a pastor in England who's pretty famous, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And when he thinks about this passage, about no condemnation, no punishment, he put it in a way that really kind of resonated with me in, in making a picture of going from a relationship based on law to a relationship based on love. So he said, it's not that when you sin, you're not breaking the law, because you are. But you're breaking a heart instead of a law. So think about it this way. I sometimes have before gone over the speed limit when driving my vehicle, right? So I'm breaking a law technically. Well, I am breaking a law. I'm not going to say technically. I'm breaking a law when I speed. All of us probably speed or have sped before if you drive, which means you've broken a law. That doesn't, it doesn't affect my conscience, which might be a whole other issue. But even when I get caught, right, I get the punishment. I get the ticket. I get the points on my license. I have to, one time, it was horrible. I was like 19 and I had to take this defensive driving course online so that I didn't get my license. It was a whole thing. But it was a speed trap, okay? It was a construction zone, and I have a whole reason why I was taken advantage of, but it was also a $500 ticket, and I learned my lesson. Um, that's beside the point. But when you break a law, you get the punishment. But emotionally, it didn't affect me. I was upset with the officer that gave me the ticket, but at the end of the day, I was like, I'm never going to see him again. I'm probably going to speed again sometime. <laughs> you know, that's just kind of how life works for whatever reason. And he says, it goes from that. So that's what it was under the law. You break a law, you get a slap on the wrist, you get the punishment. But now that Jesus took the punishment, it's like a marriage relationship. It's like a loving relationship between family. Now, it's not you broke a law, you get the punishment. Now it's you broke someone's heart and you've messed up a relationship. If speeding hurt the relationship between me and Sarah, I wouldn't do it. But I don't have an emotional connection to the lawmakers in our state, right? I don't have a relationship with them. It doesn't affect me the same way as doing something that would hurt her or doing something that would hurt my mom or my dad. Because when you break that trust and you break that heart, it's way messier. 
and it's way more hurtful. And even though you don't necessarily get the punishment, seeing the hurt that you caused is way worse than a $500 ticket and a defensive driving course because it's someone you care about. And that's what we've now stepped into in our relationship with God. It's not, ah, you broke a law, now you get the punishment, and then we start over and try to do it better next time. It's going, you you broke a trust, you broke a heart, you hurt somebody, you've separated yourself from someone that loves you more than you could ever understand, and now it needs to be made right so that that can be healed. And it's way messier this way. Following rules is way easier for me, I love that. I loved it when I was a kid. My relationship with God was transactional. If I did what was right and I did what was good, I loved God and we were good. Once I realized that God wanted a relationship with me, it got a lot messier. Because now it wasn't, well, as long as I'm following the rules, we're good. Now it was, it was about my heart. Was I following the rules because I loved God or was it because I'm, you know, militant? And God goes, well, I want your heart to be soft when you obey me. And that's when it starts to break your heart, is when you realize you're hurting a relationship, not just breaking a rule. And sometimes it's easier, we want God to just be rules because then it's based on how well we perform and if we screw up, we can blame ourselves and if we do good, we can take the credit. But when it comes to relationships, it's a lot more work, there's a lot more nuance, there's a lot more room to grow and room to shift and room to change, but it's a lot messier. So that's what I want to say when we talk about no condemnation. It's because Jesus took the punishment so that we could have a relationship with God as opposed to having to follow these list of rules and having a very transactional relationship with God. He wants it to be more personal. He wants it to be talking to him. He wants it to be working through things with him. It's not necessarily as black and white as laws are. It's a little bit more gray. It's a little bit more nuanced. It's a little bit more, we need to do this together in community. We can't do it alone. Verse five, this is the next section we're in. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this is pretty heavy. Um, <laughs> and I like this because the first thing that it says it gives us a little bit of responsibility, right? Verse five says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Set their minds, not have thoughts, but this is, you, your thought processes are based on yourself. They're based on sin. They're based on what flesh wants to do. It says, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So that means we can play a part that when we're living in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit living in us, we can set our minds on specific things. I think of Philippians 4, 8, right? Think about things that are true and honorable and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. Those are the things that God wants us to be thinking about, not how much 
our boss sucks, which I thought that last night a couple times, how much our friends don't care about us because their worlds don't revolve around us, how much we want to be upset with our family because blah, 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 how much we want to complain and murmur. It's about thinking about the things that God wants us to think about. It's about setting your mind in accordance with how God thinks about you because half your thoughts are probably just bad thoughts about yourself, that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up because that's not what God is thinking about you. He's thinking that he loves you, that he's proud of you, that he sees what you could be and what you were meant to be. It could be what you're thinking about other people. If you, most of the time, we are not thinking about other people the way that God is thinking about that person because we're so jacked up, we're not thinking about ourselves the way God thinks about us. But that's what we need to set our minds on. And I love this quote from Tim Keller. It says, wherever your mind goes most naturally and freely when there's nothing else to distract it, that is what you really live for. So think about that for a second. When you're at home, you're doing nothing, you finally have some time to like relax, decompress, whatever, what do you start thinking about? For me, um, food, soccer, and probably negative thoughts about myself. Those are probably the top three, right? For me. So for you, who knows what it is? Maybe it's something to do with your job. Maybe it's something to do with finances. Maybe it's something to do with family. I don't know what it is, but when you're in that time where your mind, when you have time to think about whatever you want, what does your mind go to most easily, most quickly? That is what you live for. So that will show whether you're setting your mind on things of the flesh or if you're setting your mind on things of the spirit. In verse six, it says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now those two words, life, comes from a Greek word that kind of means real and genuine life. Not like breath, not like, you know, your heart's beating, but a life that's actually fulfilling. That's what Jesus promised. He said, I came to give you life and give it to the fullest. That's the type of life that verse six is talking about, is a genuine, full life. And the word peace means having a peace of mind or having wholeness. So it's meaning when you set your mind on the things of the spirit, it will bring genuine, fulfilling life and wholeness to you. That's how you know you're thinking things that are according to the spirit. Because if you're thinking about things that are according to the flesh, it brings death, it brings discouragement, it brings destruction, it brings hopelessness, it brings the opposite of those things. It brings an empty life and it brings hopelessness and emptiness. So when we're focused on ourselves and what our flesh and our sinful nature wants, we cannot submit to God, it says. It says, it is hostile to God, and those who are living according to the flesh, those who are in the flesh, cannot please God. It's not possible to live in that close relationship with God where you're feeling life, where you're feeling peace, 
if you're constantly setting your mind on the things of the flesh and if you're constantly living according to the flesh. Here's the last section, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. I like this little dig. We're going to come back to this. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. This is the righteousness that we have in Jesus that we've been talking about the last few weeks. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you and give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this is the promise. It's going, when you live in the flesh, it's death. You're hostile to God. You can't please God. But you who have the spirit of God living in you, You have the righteousness of Christ in you. You have true life in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead was the Holy Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. And that is why Jesus said, you'll be able to do greater things than me. It's better that I go, because once I go, I can give you the Holy Spirit. And that's the promise that he gives us, is that when we have that spirit, we'll have that life and that peace. very wise pastor that I know a few weeks ago said, it is very possible to allow the cross to be true in your life, but not the resurrection. When I was listening to this sermon again this week as I was preparing and just trying to really get ready for this, this was in chapter six he said this. He said, it's very possible to allow the cross to be true in your life, but not the resurrection. And that's what we've been talking about tonight because the cross represents Jesus taking that punishment, right? Taking our sins away, forgiving us, making it so that we can go to heaven when we die because we can be made right with God and have the righteousness of Christ because of what he did on the cross. And we really like that part. That's the part that's, you know, that's the gift. That's where we go, okay, I receive that, I believe it, Let's do it. And we love the justification part of things. I, I kind of call it sometimes, we like the get out of hell free card. Because I like Monopoly. We love that because that's really what it is. That's, I mean, that's the point of it is Jesus came and he goes, you don't have to do anything. I'm saving you. And we love having the cross be a part of our story. That's why all the necklaces we wear are crosses and they're not empty tombs. Because the resurrection part of things is where it gets a little messy. This is where the relationship comes in. This is where we're going, Jesus came back to life through the Holy Spirit so that we could have that life in our mortal bodies. That's what verse 11 says. Jesus didn't come just to save us for eternity, which he did. But he came to give us life now in the bodies that we have now so that we can have life and peace now so that we can have genuine full life We can have wholeness now. The resurrection is what gives us the Holy Spirit. It's what gives us the power of God to live the life that he's created us to live. I'm going to close with this. We come back to verse 9. 
this little bit, this little caveat, he says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I, I kind of like this. I like Paul for this reason, because he's, he's a little bit more cynical than some of the other writers, more than John. I'm very cynical, and I'm trying to work on that, and Jesus is trying to work on that. But I do like this, because he goes, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and the word here, dwells, is different from the other words that he's been using about living according to the Spirit, having the life and the peace, all of that. This word dwells means to be comfortable and to feel at home. So he's going, if in fact, so he goes, you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Holy Spirit is comfortable with you. If in fact the Holy Spirit feels comfortable being a part of your life. Because that's the Holy Spirit. They, the, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming like a dove, right? When he appears at Jesus' baptism. Doves are easily frightened. They're not pigeons. Pigeons, man, especially if you've been to New York, the pigeons are like, actually, this is my sidewalk. They're like, me and the rat actually run this, and you should probably just walk around us. No, doves are easily startled. The Holy Spirit will never force himself on you. God will never force himself on you because that's not love. But he's always available and the Holy Spirit's always there and the Holy Spirit's always available. So when we read this, it's going, is the Holy Spirit comfortable? Is the Holy Spirit at home in you? And that's up to us to invite him in. That's up to us to go, I want to set my mind on things that are according to the Spirit. I want to be open to the Holy Spirit working in my life. And this isn't about questioning whether or not you're saved, right? This isn't, this isn't going, oh, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you must not be saved. No, it's, it's going, is the Holy Spirit comfortable? Because when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's the power that forgives our sins. But it's going, does he feel comfortable and at home in you? Or are you constantly setting your mind on things that are wrong with yourself, things that are wrong in your life? Or are you trying to see things the way God sees them? If you're not experiencing that genuine life, if you're not experiencing that wholeness and that peace of mind, it doesn't mean that everything's good. It doesn't, because it's not, that's not how it works. But if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like life has no meaning, then maybe you need to invite the Holy Spirit again today. And we all have these moments throughout the week, throughout the day, every aspect of our lives. And this doesn't mean that just when things happen, these thoughts come up, they come up but it's about what you're setting your mind on, what you're fighting to think about. So this is the part where it gets a little uncomfortable. I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, just kind of take some time to... I want you to feel like you and God are the only people in this in this room right now, in this thought, 
Because God knows your thoughts, he knows your heart, he knows how you feel. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Man, we need you so badly. I want to have a life that feels fulfilling, that feels genuine, that feels like I was meant to live it. I want to have a life where I feel wholeness, where I feel peace of mind, even in the midst of nonsense, that I can look to you and know that you're there and know that you're faithful, just like what we sang about this morning. So Holy Spirit, we're asking you to make this relationship a little messy. We're asking you to not let us try to earn your love, try to earn and, make, and work hard for a fulfilling life, but to find it in you. We're asking you to come. We're asking you to dwell in us. Man, Holy Spirit, I know a lot of the time you, you can't be very comfortable. You don't feel very at home in my mind and in my heart. Man, I want you to be. I want, I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel at home. I want you to feel like you belong. Because I belong to you. I belong to the Father because of Jesus. So as we sing this last song, I'm just gonna, I like, I don't always like this. I shouldn't say that. I'm gonna count to three. It sounds weird. I work with kids a lot, it's okay. And when I hit three, if you really feel like you just kinda need to come up here and be with you and the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you again, to come and bring you that genuine life, that hope, that wholeness, that fullness. This is why I have you bowing your heads and closing your eyes, because on the count of three, I want you to feel like you're only responding to the Holy Spirit. It's not about what the people around you do, but it's about going, from this point on, Holy Spirit, I want you to dwell in me. I want you to be able to help me set my mind on things that you would have me think about. I want to live my life according to the Spirit instead of according to the flesh.